uh, chapter 1 is where we're going to be at this morning, Romans chapter 1. Uh, just to give you a little bit of kind of a, a maybe a teaser, if you will, um, I've never been more excited to preach the next set for you out of Romans 2. We're going to start this series called Checkmate next week, and we're going to go through 11 horrible habits that you have that distance you and your relationship with God. So, like I said, I've never been more excited in my study. I've never had more kind of revelation from the Lord as I kind of pick through Romans chapter 2, but we found 11 uh, horrible habits that everybody has, myself included, that distance us in our relationship with God. So it's going to be a, a great uh, series, great four-week series leading us into Easter. So I would just uh, get excited about that, kind of like you get excited about football games. No? Oh, okay. Hey, just uh, I want to do a little simple illustration. Watch this. If you have a jersey on this morning, would you just stand up just, just, just for a moment? Or any jersey, like any sort of jersey that you have on representing a team or whatnot. Watch this. Hold on a second. This is how Facebook works. No announcements. I never gave an announcement. I never told anybody. All I did was just put out on Facebook that you should wear your jersey to church on Sunday. And I'm glad that two of us wore the greatest team ever to play the game. So, praise the Lord, you can have a seat. <laughs> there we go. All right. Um, and then we won't talk about football jerseys uh, for a while, okay? We'll talk about Jesus. <clears throat> so anyway, don't write me nasty emails. I don't like that. It's not fun. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. Let's finish up this Backbone series. The Apostle Paul is writing the letter uh, to Romans. To the Romans. starts to explain some things in accordance to what Jesus has done. He's talking to Jewish believers. Those people, well, some of them are believers, but mostly Jews who had some sort of relationship with Christ. And then he's talking about Gentiles who want a relationship with Christ, and the Jews aren't really having it. They're not really excited about the fact that the Gentiles get to be grafted in. So there's uh, some, some church fights going on. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Okay, so it's a really applicable book. When we get to the end of Romans chapter 1, we see that Paul's purpose in writing was to give a very detailed gospel message. He wants you guys to understand what the gospel is. He wants his audience to say, hey, I know exactly what the gospel of Jesus Christ is, and I know how to live it out, and I know how to explain it to somebody who's standing next to me or on my cell phone or somebody who is in my circle of influence. So Paul says that we can be Christians if we have faith and we can become more like Christ if we apply some of these truths. So the Checkmate series, the next four sets, okay, the next four sermons, excuse me, are all going to be focused on living out the Christian life. Because Paul says, essentially, if you trusted Jesus in faith and you don't live it out, it's kind of like a useless gift. And let's go back a little bit, and I want to show you where we've been. First week, we looked at three pillars that sets up a biblical backbone. When I say biblical backbone, what I'm getting at is that this is our foundation as Christians. It's what kind of holds us all together. It makes us stand up straight. First thing I said was that we should be set apart for the gospel... If your Bible's open, that would be 
verses 1 through 4. I said that we should be loved by God, verse 7. And then I went back to Romans chapter 1, verse 5 through 6 and said that you have to be obedient in the faith. So when God calls you and he says, hey, I want you to know me personally. He says, I want you to be set apart. I want you to know that I love you. And I also want you to be obedient in what I've taught you. Some of these principles I want you to actually use. The second week, we talked about two more pieces to that biblical backbone. And we saw how the gospel gives us a powerful ability. And it also helps us be righteous or be made right in the eyes of the Lord. You tracking with me? Okay, really quick summary. So if you missed a couple of those, now you're on the same page. Let's go to Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 32, and let's read the rest of this. It says this, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. For by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they're without excuse. I love that. So they're without excuse. We, we know that God exists, okay? 21. For although they knew God, I love this verse because it kind of shows us how we need to connect the head and the heart. Watch this. It says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile, futile, excuse me, in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were what, church? What does it say? They were darkened. They had this knowledge in their head, but they didn't live it out. And so they thought they were really, really smart, but they were darkened. 22. Claiming to be wise. Oh, man. Jesus is speaking to my heart right now. They became fools, 23, exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images resembling mortal man and the birds and the animals and the creeping things. Essentially, that's idolatry. Okay? He says, you knew who God was. You had this head knowledge, but man, you removed it and you put something else that's there. I know this is a big passage of scripture, but it's good. 24, therefore, God gave them up, and this is kind of an interesting perspective, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worship and serve the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever and ever. Amen. That's kind of like a little tweet right there. Serve the creature rather than the creator. 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. God, why would you give people up to these things? We'll talk about that in a second. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Verse 27. And the men likewise gave themselves up in natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with other men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Since they did not see it fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what they ought not to be done. And they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, Uh, covetousness, malice, they were full of envy, murder, strife, uh, deceit, maliciousness, they're gossips. If you are an underliner in your Bible, you should underline that verse and you should use it as a checklist for yourself every single day. Am I unrighteous? Am I evil? Am I coveting something? Am I malicious in my talk? Am I full of envy? Am I a murderer? Not necessarily going out and killing people, but do I wish harm upon another in my mind? Do I have strife? Am I 
full of deceit? Am I malicious? Do I gossip? Oh, Lord, welcome to the American church. Do I slander? Am I a hater of God? I might not even have to preach today. I might just read the Bible to you. How about that? 32. So, though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Everybody say, That's heavy, right? Let's unpack it a little bit. Okay? First thing, outcomes of rejecting a biblical backbone. So this morning, the whole point of this morning, I want to show you what happens if you were to reject the free gift that God gives you. Okay? Number one, let's go with this. First thing that you need to write down, point number one, rejecting the biblical backbone, first of all, personally welcomes the wrath of God. Personally welcomes the wrath of God. There you go. Personally welcomes the wrath of God. Now, I have to have a little disclaimer on this because Jonathan is a seminary student and um, he preached this uh, exact same verse about three or four months ago and I stole a lot of his notes, okay? So if you find anything that's good in it, it's mine. Just, Just kidding. Who knows? It's God's, okay? So Jonathan and I, we had this little pack that it belongs to the Lord. All right. So anyway, first thing, rejecting the biblical backbone, first of all, personally welcomes the wrath of God. Watch this. Romans chapter 18, or 1, verse 18 through 20. I want you to see this. If we look at that passage of scripture, Paul argues that God's wrath comes when man rejects salvation offered to the Lord. So the first thing that we get, okay, is that there is a gift true that is offered to you from God and you have a choice you get to either accept that gift or you get to reject that gift you either say yes I believe this gift is good or you would say I don't believe this gift is good and I don't think it has any relevancy in my own life all right so when Paul starts talking about this gift when we reject the gift God's anger becomes kind of full front because His creation has rejected him. This is a lot like a father and a child, right? If I were to give my kids gifts at Christmas time, and they got up in the morning and they looked at all these presents, and then they looked at me and said, everything in those boxes are horrible, and we choose to go back to our room and go to bed. The wrath of Mr. Muck is coming down in my house, amen? I spent money on those gifts, I thought about you when I bought those gifts. You were on my heart when I bought those gifts. Who are you to reject those gifts? Christian. When we accept God's gift, He gives it to us because He thought about us. We were on His mind. We were on His heart. We were consumed by Him. I mean, He had a passion for us, right? And so when we reject that gift, he says, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, this doesn't make any sense. Now follow me. God doesn't give a quick emotional response when you reject the gift. It's not just something that he just kind of clicks on and goes, oh, I'm upset with you. Let's see if I can set your house on fire with lightning bolts. It doesn't happen that way, okay? Because we think that God has emotional triggers when we do certain things. But let me, let me kind of comfort you a second. God doesn't work in 
emotional responses because he is constantly thinking and knowing all things. And because he knows all things, he chooses to respond to man's wickedness because it has been something that he pushed aside when he loved us so much. And he says, no, 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 this doesn't work with me. This isn't a good thing. And let's see how this kind of plays out. Let me show you a couple of things. First of all, is that God revealed himself through us so that we may become righteous. You're not supposed to see that yet. So God reveals to us, okay, go back to Romans chapter 1 verse 18. So that we may become righteous. I want to unpack this gift just a little bit for you. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, it says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, etc., etc. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Much like those verses in the very end of Romans chapter 1. What am I getting at here? First of all, if you've been given a gift by God that was thought about, that was on his heart, that was he was passionate about, okay? If you were given that gift and you choose to reject that gift, what we would do is we would consume that gift with everything we have, and if we don't consume that gift with everything we have, follow me for a second, then we may not really truly own the gift. Okay, so, so let me unpack that for a second, what that means for you in real life. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and there are still hints of sin, and there are still hints of worldliness, what Paul says, now watch this, I'm going to let Paul speak on this, because this is a huge, huge statement. Then Paul would, if he was here in our assembly, he would question whether or not you've accepted Jesus. Is that massive? Hey, Paul, who are you to say what my heart looks like? Let's back up there, little Apostle Paul, right? Let's go ahead and just backtrack a second. But Paul was so adamant that when the Christian came to accept Jesus, he would do certain things that said that he was consumed with the gift. So when Paul looks at the person who still lives in the world and still who embraces some of the things of the world, okay, he would question whether or not you have really truly accepted the gift. Now, let me put that in terms of football, okay? Because some of you guys are looking at me going, yeah, you're wearing a jersey, you worldly creature. Okay, thanks for judging my heart. I appreciate that. All right? But if we backed up a second, see, God says, I don't mind if you are entertained. I don't mind if you kind of have this thing where you need to relax and let go for a second. But if that thing consumes you, And if it becomes something that you worship, which is idolatry, then you made a bad thing into a worse thing. Or, as a pastor that I follow says, if you make a good thing into a God thing, it turns into idolatry. And then God detests it, okay? We see though also, watch, if we were to walk in this passage a little bit more, God's revelation demands a response from his people. See, in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, it says, For in the gospel... The righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith. So God is righteous to save, but he's also righteous in delivering consequences. We want God to be a good God, don't we? 
I mean, we want God to be this really lovable, huggable stepdad that we go visit on the weekends. He says, no, 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 I'm your real father. I'm somebody who really, truly exists, that cares about you and loves you so much that if you choose to reject my gift, I have to do something about that. It would be outside of God's nature if he didn't do something for us rejecting the gospel. So Paul here is talking really to us saying that you can do nothing to please God unless you have the salvation that Jesus Christ offers. Unless you know the gospel, you can't really truly please the Lord. Unless you have the backbone, it doesn't work. So we have to make a conscious choice of whether or not we're going to live like Christ wants us to live or we're going to live like the world tells us to live. I'm going to get to the jersey thing in a minute because it's really good and it's grinding me not to do it, but I told myself, wait till the end of the message. Let me give you a short illustration. A Minnesota radio station once reported a story about a stolen car in California. Police were staging an intense search for the vehicle and the driver. And so what happened was they got to the point of placing announcements on a local radio station to contact this person who was the thief. On the front of the seat of the stolen car sat a box of crackers that, unknown to the thief, were laced with poison. Who has a box of crackers that's laced with poison in their front seat? Don't know. The car owner had intended to use the crackers as rat bait. Oh, sure, sure you did. I've I've been in that situation with police too, amen? Yeah, sure you did. Now, the police and the owner of the car were more interested in apprehending the thief to save his life than to recover the car. So the whole point of the police's search was they wanted to make sure that they saved the thief from dying. He didn't understand that the box of crackers had poison in it. So they looked at him and said, no, 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 we don't really care about the car right now. We're more concerned about your life. Now watch this. When we get to this point, we often run from God and we feel it is necessary to escape his punishment. But what we're actually doing is we're eluding his rescue. See, because sometimes when we run from God, and sometimes when we run away from him, we think, well, well, I'll be okay by myself. And God says, listen to me. <laughs> I don't really care about the car. I don't really care about you taking the car and stuff like that. Like, that's not the biggest thing. The biggest thing is if you choose to remain in your sin, if you choose to not accept this gift, which is salvation, you will ultimately fall underneath my condemnation. Do you see where I'm getting at there? God says, essentially, if, if, if you don't accept this gift, You're going to fall underneath my wrath. And if you fall underneath my wrath, let me tell you what. You think this life is bad, I can give you a whole other experience that's not going to be a good thing. Now, he doesn't say that to scare you into a relationship with him. He says that because he genuinely cares about you. So church, let's think about this for a second. Do you want to ultimately be loved by God? Or do you want to keep doing things by yourself, falling underneath a small scale of wrath, which will eventually put you into a place where you will be falling under a large scale of wrath. Do you get that? See, God says, I love you. And I think sometimes we look at him and we say, you don't love me. There's no way you love me. But he does. Let me give you some applications for this, okay? If we are the thief, we choose to disobey God in our sin, and we're going to drive away the vehicle that's laced with our 
eternal destruction. That's truth. Okay? But God, through his act of grace, is going to offer his son Jesus. And Jesus is going to come, and he's going to get in the car with us, and he's going to help us escape punishment. It's almost like a parent opening up the passenger door, taking the crackers, putting them on the ground, sitting in, closing the door and saying, hey, go home and go talk to your dad. Right? How many of you have been in that situation? Can I get a witness here? Right? Go, just go talk to your dad. There's no way I'm going to talk to dad. He's furious. No, 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 no. Go home and talk to dad. He just wants to see how you're at. Now, the crazy thing is your earthly parents may have put a bad view on this because maybe it wasn't a good experience for you. And for that, I'm sorry. But watch. Are you in active rebellion to the Lord and welcoming his wrath without even knowing it? Let's put some application points on this. If you know Jesus Christ, if you've accepted the gift of the gospel, first thing is, and I told you this, you have the ability to become free in Christ. There's the offering of the gift. If you have the ability to become free, you have to understand that we have a choice now to live a life in Christ. And so the first thing that God tells us is that we are, write this down, we are to put to death what you were. I want you to think about that for a second. Who were you? Seriously, think about it for a minute. Who were you? Okay, Paul gives you a huge list. This is application time in church. It's okay, because I really want to teach you something today. Look at that whole entire list. Who were you in Christ? Or who were you in your sin? What in that list can you identify yourself with? Man, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at this and go, verse 29, holy cow, I was unrighteous, I was evil, I've coveted things, I've had malicious talk come out of my mouth, I, I've never really killed somebody, but I've wished harm on them before, I've had strife. I mean, I can go through the whole list and I can tell you that I'm probably in every single one of those categories, and if I were to be honest, so were you. Well, I don't say that to beat you up or to get you down, but... Paul says, and it's kind of like last week, that you can put to death what is in you to become like Christ. He says you have the power to overcome these things. And so he says you can get rid of your old life that will continue to pull you in sin, and you can get rid of relationships that hold you from growing and maturing properly. Now this is hard, isn't it? Because let me just be completely honest with you, as I always am. I don't want you to think I lie to you. There's probably someone or something that is holding you down, that is pulling you down. I mean, straight up. And, and the other thing is, you probably know what that is, and you probably know that you need to cut that cord. But you've become so attached to it. You've become so submerged in it. You've become so obsessed with it that it's hard for you to cut. Now, before you go thinking that this is your spouse, it's not your spouse, Okay. You can't cut them out of your life. What God has joined together, let no man, church. Okay. But there may be other relationships. There may be other things. There may be other situations. There may be other circumstances. There may be some things that you can eliminate that would cause these things to go away. So what does that mean? All right, well, let me give you number two, which would be that you need to make a conscious, okay, choice To live not as the world says, but to live as the Word of God says. 
Now, I'm just going to pull a small piece from my own life and talk to you for a minute about how Jordan's wired, okay? I don't know if you've ever met me or talked to me. But in the previous years, I'm, I'm really like a shoot-from-the-hip type guy. Can I get an amen from anybody who knows me? Okay. All right. So I really like just kind of fire off. Like, and sometimes I don't even think before I say things. I know if you guys are like, amen, I know how that works. Okay. Except in my sermons. Stop. So my wife is laughing at me right now. But I'm getting somewhere. Okay, watch this. I have to consciously tell myself when I talk to people. First thing is, I say, slow down, Jordan, take a breath. Okay. Think about what you're going to say before you say it. Is anybody with me? Did anybody have similar personalities? Thank you. I see that hand. I see that hand. Praise the Lord. There's some honest people in this house. Okay. And so my, my thing is, when I make a conscious choice, it has to be very premeditated. Okay, so in, in my mind, okay, and the way that I'm wired, now this isn't always a bad thing because sometimes it just comes across really like a good thing because Paul and I kind of have similar problems. When I need to get rid of these things, for me, okay, this is how God works in my life. For me, God says, Jordan, take a breath, calm down, breathe for a second, and think about the choice that you're about to make. Does it ultimately bring glory to me? Or does it ultimately bring glory to you? Now watch, this is another thing I fight in my life. For me, a lot of the times, okay, I think, because I'm so compassionate with people, that I think a third thing. I think, does it honor God, does it honor me, does it honor somebody else? So let me free you of something real quick. You don't have to honor other people. And you don't have to honor yourself. You have to honor the Lord. And to honor the Lord means we make conscious choices to bring glory to His name. Okay, so the perceptions of people, right? The perceptions of myself. Okay, I look at it and I realize... That those are decisions that I made for years that dictated who I was. And those are not who I am. I am who Jesus tells me I am. And my conscious choices need to honor and glorify Him. How do I know, Jordan? How do I know what this is? How do I know where you're getting this stuff at? Well, God wrote you a book. And you get to read it. It's not that you have to read it. You get to read it. So God looks at us and he says, make conscious choices to honor me, make conscious choices to eliminate this sin, and make conscious choices so that ultimately we can live a life in joy. So let me ask you a few questions. In what ways does God reveal himself to you that you may be ignoring? How has God kind of given you a revelation on how to eliminate some of these things but you might be ignoring it because there's some person or some thing that's constantly in your life. But what has God revealed to you personally that he says, hey, if you were to do this, this thing would go away. But sometimes we want to justify ourselves. And that's not good. So the second question is, what is stopping you from escaping those things? Because ultimately, now watch this, follow me. Ultimately, if we don't do what God wants us to do, what Paul says is we welcome the wrath of God. That's scary. 
So if we don't make conscious decisions to honor the Lord, if we don't make conscious decisions to get rid of things in our old life, if we don't make conscious decisions to get rid of relationships that hold us down, okay, then we lose our confidence and we welcome God's wrath. Enough on that. Point two. Second thing. Paul looks at us and the second thing he tells us is, if we reject the biblical backbone, it forces God to do what is necessary. I kind of alluded to this a little bit, but I want to unpack it a little bit more. So we look at this and we realize in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, verse 21 through 23, watch this. It says that for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were, you already said it, darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So we're going to get into idolatry for just a second. God's wrath is necessary because mankind has rejected him when we rejected the gift. We often don't want God to do what he needs to do, but there must be a punishment for rejecting that salvation that God offers. Follow me here for a second. I want to read this to you. What kind of loving father would simply just let that sin go unpunished? Isn't it amazing that even though God has made himself known through Christ, our foolish hearts would still reject what God offers to us? This is why you get into hardships in your Christian life. This is why you have problems. This is why you have issues. This is why situations and circumstances seem out of your control. We look at this and we realize is it, it's solely because our hearts are foolish and we reject God because our mind plays tricks on us. One of the biggest areas that Satan is active in the life of the Christian is in your mind. He operates up here. He tells you things that are untrue. He constantly whispers to you things that just aren't reality. And we look at this and we think that God failed us when those things happened, but in all reality, we failed God. Because we put our own conscious choices on the Lord. And God says, whoa, 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 whoa. Why would you put your conscious choices on me? I wrote you a book. You got to read this book and figure out what my mind is and how my mind operates. And you got to understand that you have a choice to either follow this book or follow yourselves. I counsel lots of you. And I love all of you. But sometimes I want to look at you guys and say, you have to make a conscious choice to honor the Lord. And eliminate what's going on in your head. What Satan is telling you in your mind. Because watch this. God didn't fail us. We fail Him. That's Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Paul uses the word honor here. It's translated glorified. That means that man must treat the Lord with the proper respect. Now watch this. I'm going to show you some biblical examples. Old Testament. Ezra, chapter 10. Now honor the Lord, the God of your ancestors. 1 Corinthians, chapter 6. Honor God with your bodies. 1 Timothy, chapter 1. To the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the God, be the honor, the glory forever and ever. In Romans, God is rendered useless and thrown away because man thinks that he can live without a father figure. We cannot live 
without a proper father figure. I've learned this firsthand in my life because I grew up a long time without a proper father figure. Okay, even though I had a stepdad who loved me and cared for me, and he says, man, Jordan, you're the best. You got it, buddy. I still wondered what my biological father thought of me, right? At all that time, I wonder, what does he think? What does he know? Does he really love me? Does he really care about me? And I think ultimately, the Heavenly Father, he reveals to us that internal desire that we have to know that we are honoring him. If we make good conscious decisions. To honor the Lord. Okay? So watch this. If we think God should thank us, we should ultimately thank God. I'm going to give you these. Let's go back a second. I want to make sure you get these. So you think that God failed us, but in reality we failed God. And I'm going to give you a second one. I'm going to let you write that down real quick. And I'm going to give you a huge one right here. This is a, this is like a, in school we used to say these are $500 statements. The second thing is that we think God should thank us, but in reality we should thank the Lord. Now what do I mean by when I say that? Okay, now watch. You made a good conscious decision. Good for you. You want to honor the Lord. Great. I'm happy for you. But... When we do that, ultimately, we think that God looks at us and he says, Oh, you're so great. Look at you. You're wonderful. You're such, you're the best. That's what we think God should do. That's what, we're like, hey, I honored you. I lift my hands this morning and worship Jesus. Point. Okay? That's kind of how our mind works. It says, I, I lift both hands, 10 points. I'm going to help somebody at lunch with a tip, 20 points. Praise the Lord. God's like, what? What, are you, what what are you getting at? When and ultimately the perspective has to be changed. Look at Romans chapter 1 verse 21. It says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. If God allows you any victories, you're the one that should thank Him that He allowed you to give that victory. If God gives you something to celebrate, then you got to give it back to Him and you got to say, man, thank you for helping me tip the waitress because I could not have done it on my own accord. See, we've been deceived into thinking that God fails us. But, but God never fails us. See, we often don't respect people because we don't know who they are. We haven't perceived them the way that God sees them. See, God is a great, powerful, awesome God. Let me give you another one. <clears throat> we think God should suffer the consequences because He has failed us, but in reality, we have failed the Lord. So in our minds, we're going to try to justify for ourselves what we have done. The good has to outweigh the bad, but what we realize is that God has already suffered a consequence that He didn't deserve. See, Jesus didn't deserve to die, but he did. So he gives us grace. And now we don't have to work to justify ourselves. God already does that. Let me give you one more. We think that God is religion, but ultimately God is a relationship. Stanford Research Institute was studying the differences in vocal perceptions. They devised a short 
but sufficient test. The first test was going to an engineer. The researcher asked him, what does 2 plus 2 make? You ever asked an engineer what 2 plus 2 makes? I wouldn't do it, but they did. I said in absolute terms, right, 4. After making their notes and dismissing him, they called in an architect. Same question was asked to the architect. He says, okay, what's 2 plus 2? He says, well, there's several possibilities. Well, let's see. 2 and 2 makes 4, but so does 3 and 1. And 2 points to 5 and 1 points to 5, so they make 4. So it's a matter of choosing the right option. It's funny. I mean, that's what happens, right? You ask somebody a question, and this is what happens depending on their background, okay? So the researchers thanked him, and they made their notes. And finally, they called in an attorney. When they heard the question, he looked around slyly. Oh, attorneys. And they asked if he could close the door for privacy, and then they came close. They leaned forward him, and they said, What's 2 plus 2, brother? He said, Well, tell me, what would you like it to be like? Isn't it funny that this is the devil in full disclosure? Let me just talk to you for a second. This is what the devil does in our minds. Because, best illustration I've ever had in my life, the Bible is like a Macintosh computer. It just works. And it's not complicated. But a lot of people won't go to an Apple computer because they're worried it's so complex. And if we look at this properly, we realize that oftentimes, the answers that we are supposed to give to honor the Lord are very, very simple. When you read the Bible, a lot of times people want to go way underneath the surface. They want to get the hidden meaning. They want to get what's going on there. But ultimately, ultimately, it is very easy discourse. Two plus two equals four. But we look at it and Satan gets into our mind and he starts to work into our mind and he starts to say, okay, if you really want to honor the Lord after reading Romans chapter 1, verse 28 through 32, then you need to tell me what you think this should be like. When the Bible very clearly tells us that we have failed the Lord if we do these things, that God doesn't have to thank us if we overcome these things, but we need to thank Him, that we didn't suffer the consequence for eliminating these things in our life, but Jesus suffered the consequence by dying on the cross, and therefore He has embraced us in a relationship and not a religion. He says, no, 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 hold on a second. I want to have a really true relationship with you. And to do that, you must get rid of these things. So, let me ask you a couple more questions. Are you allowing God to master your thoughts, or is it still in control from the enemy? If there is a battle going on in your mind, who do you pray will overcome that war? See, this isn't popular teaching, but let me tell you something. It's very real to you if you would start praying this in a very applicable way. God, shield my mind that I would focus on your things. Lord, be the master of my thoughts. Are you willing, church, just let me, let me ask you something very pointedly. Are you willing to do a self-evaluation on your own thoughts and opinions to become more like Christ? Are you willing to sit down in front of your spouse and say, hey, listen, I need you to go through 28 through 32 and outline everything that you see in my life that is wrong. 
Because ultimately what happens is we get open and God starts speaking to us when we're open. But oftentimes we place things above the Lord and God says, no, 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 no. Don't place things or situations or circumstances above me. Just place me and I'll eliminate those things. Let me give you one more point and I'll bring it all together, I promise. If we reject the biblical backbone, we administer God's wrath. So let me ask you just a really pointed question. Do you want to experience the Lord for all that he is? Or do you want to welcome the wrath and really reveal the true state of where you'll become? If we reject these things of God, we force his hand and it catches up on us. Now it says here, just let me unpack these real quick. It says that God gives men up to a few things. The first thing is that God gives men up to idolatry. When it says that God gives men up to idolatry, what it means is that men have the option to worship created things that they will see insignificant and small unless, if they see, excuse me, Christ is more valuable than anything the world has to offer. So the question off of that is, do you see what Christ has to offer you as being valuable or... Do you think that created things offer more value in your life? Now, this doesn't give you, give up the right to try it out, but big kids know when the stove's hot, right? And what I mean by that is, there are some things that you engage in that you know it's a, it's a, it's a hot button, it's a hot topic. And you know that it'll send you down a path, okay? It doesn't matter if it's up here, if it doesn't matter if it's something that is material, Sometimes God gives people up to those things because he says, I want you to see in all true reality if you have the discipline to eliminate this thing. So he says, I'm going to back off for a second and you're going to engage for a minute and I want to see if you're really truly going to honor me by touching that or leaving that alone. Now in a real tangible setting, it goes like this. Some of you guys who struggle with things that are online, You'll be in a setting, and this happens all the time, you'll be in a setting to where you're sitting there, and all of a sudden the room is completely empty, and Satan creeps up into your mind. And once he's in your mind, you start thinking about things. Nobody's here, everything's okay, this is how it kind of goes. And God is right behind you, but he kind of backs up a second. And he says, are you going to honor me with your choices, or are you going to choose to honor yourself and go and give up to idolatry? Now, women, you're not excluded from this, okay? Because us guys have our problems. But watch this. Sometimes, with a, with a woman, it's an emotional thing. Amen? So we get into some of these situations and circumstances where some things start happening, and you guys have some of this emotional stuff going on. There's some really emotional things that are happening in here. And God kind of backs up a second. He says, hey, hold on a second. Are you going to believe that? Or are you going to believe what my word says? And so we have a choice. Right? We choose how we think. We choose how we act. The other thing that it says in the Bible that God gives men up to is impurity. It goes along kind of the same lines. Paul's specifically speaking here about sexual impurity, especially in the Roman world. And he urges the people not to be given into their passions, 
but to be disciplined so that they could avoid the wrath of God when it comes. Discipline is one way we fight the flesh. The last thing it says is that God gives men up to foolishness. In Romans 1.28, a corrupt mind is ultimately the center of all sins. So there's an endless amount of passages that push us not to be foolish, but instead be wise with the wisdom that only the Lord can provide. The quote I love, it says, Nowadays men lead lives of noisy desperation. So where's your struggle? I mean, where's your hardship? Okay, if you've accepted, let me bring this whole thing back together because we, we tackle a lot of things. If God gives you a free gift, and that is salvation, and last week we talked about in the gift there is power. Don't start putting away your notes just yet. In that gift there is opportunity. In that gift there is something that you can be that was not the way that you were before. It moves into this statement where Paul says, okay, either you're going to accept that gift or you're going to reject that gift. So first thing is, have you accepted the gift of salvation that is freely offered to all? If you have, then Paul says, look at this list that Pastor Jordan just put in front of you, and which one are you giving up to? Because if you are giving up to these things, then one, you may not be disciplined... Two, you may not, I I don't know if you're writing these down or not, that's why I'm slowing down a second. Okay, you may not be disciplined. Two, you may not be accessing. In other words, you may not be diving in, you may not be devoted. Or three, you may be impartial. See, because like I said last week, if we accept the gift, then God looks at us and he says, man, I want you to enjoy this gift and use it to its full potential. So God demonstrates his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Don't reject the gospel. Don't reject the power that is offered to you. Now, how does that relate to Jersey Sunday? I'm glad you asked. The love of God is an indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It inflames our heart with a passion. How many of you guys are passionate people? Okay. How many of you know somebody who's a passionate person? There we go. All right. Now we're getting somewhere. Okay, watch this. The funny thing is, in America, I see that people are passionate about things all the time. Namely, sporting events. Right? And so what happens is, we become so indwelled with our desires that we start... To wear them literally on our backs. Now watch this. Follow me. I'm getting somewhere with this. Okay. And we look at it and we become so inflamed with the things of the world. That our passion can't be contained. So it forces us. Follow me. It forces us to wear actual garments that have other people's names written on the back of them. I don't know this guy. I've never, I don't know who this is. I I know of him, but I don't know anything about his character. I don't know, he's never done anything for me. So I become so engrossed with something that I become so passionate about it 
that I know everything that it can offer me. Because watch this, I go, I go to the game. And I get in the stands. And I root for my team. And I paint my face. And I become enraged when they lose, right? And we get passionate about it. I saw this firsthand South Bend with the Notre Dame experience. Because you wear it on your hearts and you're passionate about it. There's nothing wrong with being passionate about your team. Praise the Lord, you're passionate about your team. You've got to have a team. The problem is, when the world becomes so focused or so central, we lose focus of the man's name we really truly wear. And God says, and he looks down on us and he says, Hey, you don't know who that is, but, but you claim to know who I really am. He says, oh, hold on a second. If you really know me, it would be on your hearts. It would be on your lips. It would be on your souls. It would be on your fingertips. It would be on your feet. You would be passionate about this. We were lost, but now we're found. So we have to go back and we have to look at this gift that was offered to us. We have to say, Jesus... This gift that you offered to me went into my heart. And I don't want to reject the allegiance that I declared to you. I want to wear you like... Well, well, it's kind of like Ephesians. I want to wear you like... Like armor. I want to put on the full armor of God. And I got up this morning. I put on my nice little jersey. It's very comfortable you buy an NFL jersey. They're amazing. But I, I got up and I, I put it on, but I, I thought about this this morning. And I put on this, this nice jersey and I thought about it and I said, God, how many times do I get up and do I put on you? And God says, essentially in this whole passage, if you didn't get anything else, God says, if you fail to put on me, you welcome my wrath. I know that Heinz Ward had just in receiving 217 games, 1,000 yards, 12,083 yards rushing, 85 touchdowns. He won some Super Bowls. He's pretty cool in my mind. Now watch this, scratch this. But I know that Jesus had 37 miracles, 351 prophecies that were fulfilled just through him alone. Not one did he not fulfill. He had 12 disciples, and he used those 12 disciples to change the world. So ultimately... Who am I wearing? Am I wearing Jesus? Am I wearing somebody else? So reject God's wrath by getting on the same team, first of all, and doing exactly what he says. This is the setup for whole messages on Romans chapter 2. And I'm going to give you 11 habits that you do that cause distance between you and your relationship with God. I know that you love the sports teams that you wear. I got it. Show me how much you love Jesus. Embrace that biblical backbone. Let me pray for you. Lord God, <clears throat> first and foremost, thanks for getting me through the message because it just didn't feel real great this morning. And your word is a powerful word and I just want to praise you for who you are and, uh, and what you do. <clears throat> and I know sometimes with uh, the material that's presented to us, we just, we just don't know what to do with it. And it's amazing to me that we either accept you and all that you are and all that you're about and we welcome you and we let you restore us and make us new as 
one of the songs we sing here says, oh, Lord God, we, we choose to go our own way. And if we choose to go our own way, we're really ultimately, we're not losing our salvation, God. And you're still with us. You're still there for us. But ultimately, Lord Jesus, we welcome your wrath if we choose to go our own way. And so church, this morning, I don't know what you're struggling with or dealing with or going through. But life may be rough for you right now because you've, you're running without the Lord. You're on the wrong team. I mean, life might just be hard for you right now just because you're trying to honor yourself and you're trying to do things on your own. And God says, hey, I want to help you out. I want to take care of you. One of my favorite lines is, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. It's one of the, it's an amazing hymn. And then the second line says, Restore a right spirit within me. I have this problem of always going late um, on Sundays, and I used to get really upset about it. But now I realize how much Satan can get in that time. Because it's it's most of the time when we get done with the message and we close our eyes and we bow our heads that we just wait for the word amen to come out so we can go. But I've realized that in those times, that's when God says, let me restore unto you the joy of your salvation. Let me renew a right spirit within you. So I would ask that this morning as you're in prayer, <clears throat> that you would ask the Lord, Lord Jesus, I don't want your wrath to come upon me. I don't want to be disobedient in my relationship with you. I want you to come and just restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Maybe you haven't experienced the joy of the Lord since the day you got saved. And maybe that's because you got saved and realized that you were doing okay by yourself. And God says, hey, let me restore unto you the joy of your salvation. Let me renew your spirit. Let me fill you up. Let me empower you. Let me put that biblical backbone back together so you can reach the world both near and far. That's what God tells us. He says, I want you to reach the world both near and far. I want you to be the hands and feet of my son Jesus. I want you to wear his name on, my, on your backs. I want you to preach to the people in your workplaces. I want you to preach to the homes that you have. I want you to be restored. I want you to be renewed. I want you to understand that it's possible to live a life that honors the Lord Jesus Christ. Make a conscious decision this morning. Plead with the Lord. Lord Jesus, renew my conscience. Let the Spirit speak louder than the words of the devil. Let the whisper that you have inside of my heart become a yell. Let you be so bold in my life that there would be nothing left in me 
there'd be nothing there. There'd be nothing, nothing would be even remotely there that was part of my old life. But let me be new. Let me be made new in you. Restore unto me, Father God. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And renew, Lord Jesus, a right spirit with me.